Well, in our evening services here at Blessings Christian Church, we use as a guide for our teaching the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're unfamiliar with the Heidelberg Catechism tonight, it was a document that was produced at the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, that's centuries ago. And the Catechism explains for us the fundamentals of the Christian faith. It explains the Apostles' Creed, which we just recited together, but also the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments and the Sacraments, the very important dimensions of Christian teaching. And we're going to continue in the schedule that we had tonight, even though we're going to be installing Pastor Paul momentarily, because we've got a carefully mapped out sequence. Uh, we're going to give attention, we gave attention last Sunday on Easter to the resurrection of Jesus tonight, to the ascension of Jesus, and in some Sundays subsequent. And then, of course, when Pentecost comes, we're going to be preaching on uh, Lord's Day 20, which is about the Holy Spirit. Tonight, we're going to look at one question and answer from one of the sections from the Catechism dealing with the ascension of Jesus, and we're going to read this question responsibly. I will pose the question. I invite you to respond with the answer, and the answer will be projected on the screens. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And now we're going to read the text for the sermon tonight, which comes from the book of Acts in the New Testament, and we'll read verses 6 through 9. The sermon is titled, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Streetlight. Acts 1, 6 through 9. Then they, that is the disciples, gathered around him, that is Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Forty days after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And last Sunday evening, we have typically a Q&A after the evening message. We're not going to do so tonight because we have other things to move on to following the sermon. But last Sunday evening, I got this wonderful question, and it was, where is heaven and heaven, I said last week, is not a location in our cosmos of space and time. It is God's dimension of reality. Reality is divided into two, heaven and earth, heaven representing God's dimension of reality and earth representing our or the human dimension of reality. Jesus, when he ascended into heaven moved into God's dimension of reality. Now, this movement 
exceeds the limits of our experience and understanding. You should not think that heaven is up there in the sky somewhere to which we can travel with some kind of spaceship. Even the cloud that hid Jesus from the sight of his disciples was probably not an ordinary cloud. It was probably more like the cloud you read about at the transfiguration of Jesus, about which we read in the Gospels. The cloud itself was a special revelation of God's glory. Heaven is, of course, our immediate destination when we die. But when we are resurrected, when Jesus returns, we are going to enjoy a combination of heaven and earth. Jesus ascended into heaven, God's dimension of reality, but when Jesus returns, heaven, God's dimension, and earth, our dimension, are going to be combined together in a way we simply cannot fully understand tonight. When the Heidelberg Catechism teaches about the ascension of Jesus, it reminds us that Jesus ascended for our benefit, and we're not going to take time tonight to identify those benefits. We will do so in subsequent services here at Blessings. I want us tonight, in the time that we have together, to think about the commission that accompanies the ascension of Jesus. Right before Jesus ascended, he gave a special commission, a special mandate, he said to his disciples, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Streetlight Christian Church was launched in faithfulness to that commission. And tonight we are very grateful for Pastor Paul and his family, and for the Streetlight staff and their families, and for the entire Streetlight community, both now and in years past, for their faithfulness. And we, at Blessings and Mercy, very much look forward to partnering with Pastor Paul and the Streetlight staff and the whole Streetlight community. We look forward to learning from you. Maybe you can learn a thing or two from us. We almost certainly can learn more from you. We look forward to laughing with you. We look forward to partnering with you and expanding the wonderful kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we are going to install in this worship service Pastor Paul as a pastor of blessings at Streetlight. Now you might say, isn't Pastor Paul the pastor already at Streetlight? And he is. So it's the same but different. And I thought of cute ways to explain this. I thought, well, maybe we could say, same horse, different race. Doesn't really work. Same rider, different horse. That really doesn't work. I thought, okay, we've got to stop thinking about horses. Maybe we can think about light, street light. Same light, different lamp. Yeah, that doesn't really work either. Here's where I settled on. Same story, different chapter. Same story, different chapter. What we're doing tonight is not starting a new story for Streetlight Christian Church. 
We're continuing a story that was started decades ago. But we're beginning a new chapter. We're turning the page. And it's our hope and prayer tonight that this is a beautiful chapter for Streetlight, a wonderful chapter for Streetlight and for us. And we're going to pray that God would bless this new chapter for Pastor Paul and Evelyn and for their family and for the whole Streetlight community. Well, tonight we're going to reflect on the kingdom of Jesus in terms of two things. First of all, the timing, and then secondly, the task. We're going to think about the kingdom of Jesus, first in terms of God's timing, and then secondly, in terms of our task. You may have noticed when we read through Acts 1, the question that the disciples posed immediately prior to the ascension of Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? A lot of Bible scholars find fault with that question. They blow the whistle on the disciples. Bad question. John Calvin was a great theologian in times past, an amazing Bible interpreter from the 16th century, said there are as many problems with this question as there are words. And I disagree with John Calvin tonight, believe it or not. It's the second Sunday in a row I'm disagreeing with John Calvin. I should be careful. I disagree with John Calvin and for two reasons. For one, Jesus has just spent a lot of time with the disciples after his resurrection from the dead and before his ascension teaching the disciples. What was Jesus teaching his disciples in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension? Well, he was teaching them we're told in verse 3, just verses prior to our text, he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. It seems entirely unreasonable, unimaginable to me that after hearing Jesus teach for 40 days about the kingdom of God, they would be fundamentally mistaken in their question about the kingdom of God. And secondly, I would draw your attention to Jesus' response to their question. Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples. He doesn't say, bad question. He doesn't say, what are you talking about? He says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his authority. The disciples were expecting Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel, and they were expecting Jesus to restore the kingdom to Israel because this is exactly what the Old Testament prophets promised. You find it in Amos, you find it in Jeremiah, you find it throughout Isaiah, countless passages about the restoration of Israel through the Messiah. I want us tonight just to look at one example from the prophecy of Isaiah, the text is going to be projected for you on the screen. Isaiah 52, verses 7 through 10. I'm just going to read it there. I can find it there faster than I can find it in my Bible. But listen to these words. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The interesting thing about that 
little passages, you have three horizons that are kind of converging. First of all, there's good news for Israel. Essentially, uh, the prophet is saying, you can go home from exile. God is victorious. He's going to return to Jerusalem. You can meet meet him there. Just as God delivered Israel from Egypt years ago, so he's going to deliver you from Babylon. Horizon one, good news for Israel. Horizon two, good news in Jesus. Verse seven refers to God reigning. Verse eight refers to God returning. Verse nine refers to God redeeming. And all of these things are true in Jesus. In Jesus, you have God returning. You have God, what's the other one? Redeeming, that's the other one. What's what's the third re? You have God returning, you have God reigning, you have God reigning, God returning, and God redeeming. That's the second horizon, the coming of Jesus. And then you have a third horizon, which is good news for the world, because the prophet moves to the global stage and talks about all nations and the ends of the earth, God is going to reign over all the earth and he's going to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It could be that when the disciples posed the question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking of a passage like that and say, and they were saying, is it, when is it all going to happen? Where we see God reigning over all, where we see people redeemed from every tribe, tongue, and nation. When are we going to see the full glory of the kingdom. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set in his own authority. Now let's be clear tonight. God does have it all carefully mapped out. He has a plan for the world and everything that happens is according to that plan and everything that happens happens exactly on schedule. God's plan is perfect. His schedule is perfect. Everything happens as it should. Everything happens on time. But he doesn't want us to speculate. Doesn't doesn't want us to bother with the schedule because we want to know what's going to happen and we want to know when it's going to happen and we want to know how long it's going to be before we see the glory of the kingdom as that glory is unveiled in all of these great Old Testament prophecies. And the message that Jesus is giving the disciples then, the message that he's giving to us today is don't watch the clock. Don't worry about God's schedule. Use whatever time you have available and take up the task that God has given you. Well, what is that task? Well, in this context, immediately after Jesus talks about the Father's schedule and the Father's timing, he tells us what the task is. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Lord, you see, is very concerned with the earth. 
And he has established a kingdom, and he wants it to expand, to begin in Jerusalem, to be sure, but to expand to the regions of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And he calls the disciples, you see, to a very specific ministry. They are to be witnesses. He wants them to be witnesses in the courtroom on the global stage, witnessing to people what they have seen and what they have heard. What they have seen Jesus do, what they have heard Jesus say. He wants them to report the facts of the ministry of Jesus and explain their significance. He wants the disciples to invite people to bend the knee before Jesus, to acknowledge that Jesus is king and no other, to acknowledge that Jesus is savior and no other. And you hear that tonight and you may wonder, well, does this commission apply to us? This commission was given to the apostles, but there are not apostles in the world today. This commission was given to those who were eyewitnesses of the ministry of Jesus, and we are not eyewitnesses. We have not heard Jesus speak here on earth. We have not witnessed the crucifixion. We have not seen Jesus after he rose from the dead. Does this commission in Acts 1 apply to the church in Hamilton? Does it apply to blessings, mercy? Does it apply to streetlight? I want to suggest to you tonight that it does. And while it is true that we are not eyewitnesses, we do have the testimony of eyewitnesses. The testimony of the eyewitnesses of Jesus is recorded on the pages of Scripture, and we are called to pass on that testimony to the world in which we live. Now, some of us are called in a very special way to present the gospel. And among those who are called in a special way to present the gospel, you find me and Pastor Greg and Pastor Ian and Pastor Paul. All of us are called to promote the gospel. Some called very specifically to present the claims of Jesus in preaching and teaching as ordained, official ambassadors of Christ, all of us are called to promote the gospel with winsome lives, with, with lives that showcase the gospel, that elicit questions, that provoke responses so that people discern in you something different than what they discern in other people that we might win our neighbors over to Christ in some sense simply by how we live. It was really a tremendous commission that these disciples received. Think about it. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There were 12 disciples, maybe 11 at this time. How are they going to do this? What kind of people were the, this, this band of disciples? Did they have anyone in their company who was a very bold and eloquent speaker? Well, you say, yeah, Peter. They have Peter, you know, bold spokesman. Ah, but Peter is the one who denied Jesus three times not so long ago, just a couple of months prior. 
less than a couple of months prior. At the scene of the crucifixion, we discover that when Jesus was apprehended, all the disciples forsook him and fled. And yet, God's plan for the world is this band of weak, broken disciples. And there was no plan B. His only plan to use these men. And Pastor Paul, I don't want to discourage you tonight, but when you join the ranks of pastors of blessings, you're joining the ranks of very weak and broken people. If you think that you're going to join the rank of champions here tonight, uh, you're mistaken. Because we, the pastors at Blessings, are fallible people. We're sinners just like everybody else. We sin. We fall. We mess up. We say the wrong things or say the right things at the wrong time. And we're aware of our weakness. And if you feel your weakness tonight, there's very good news that this passage brings. It brings good news to you and to me and to all of us tonight because not only do you get in this passage this, this commission, this daunting commission, you get, don't you, an amazing promise, which is you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but you shall also receive power when the Holy Spirit comes comes upon you. It's what John the Baptist promised. It's what Jesus told his disciples to wait for. It's what happened at Pentecost. Jesus receives the Spirit, the promised Spirit from the Father, and he pours that Spirit out on the church. It doesn't drip on the church. It pours on the church the overflowing power of the Spirit, which emboldens us, equips us, enables us, empowers us to be witnesses for Jesus. Witnesses for Jesus in different ways, but witnesses for Jesus. The whole book of Acts is in some sense an answer to the disciples' question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because what you discover in the book of Acts is that the story begins in Jerusalem. That's where the gospel is first preached. And then it moves, doesn't it, to Judea and Acts 8, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. It begins in Jerusalem, and where does the book of Acts end? Well, it ends with Paul in Rome. And what does it say in the very last verse of the book of Acts? It says that Paul in Rome proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with power and without any hindrance. Isn't that amazing? That's the faithfulness of God to his promises. And what it means is that very broken, sinful, fallible disciples can be used by God to spread the gospel across the world. It went from Jerusalem to Rome, just in the book of Acts, and the story isn't over today. The story doesn't end with the death of the last disciple. It continues today, 
The gospel has come to Hamilton, and the gospel needs to go to everyone in Hamilton. The world needs to hear about Jesus, and the city of Hamilton needs to hear about Jesus, and the Beasley neighborhood needs to hear about Jesus, the Kirkendall neighborhood needs to hear about Jesus, the McQueston neighborhood needs to hear about Jesus. All throughout Hamilton, people need to be told there is one king, and he is a loving and a gracious king, a redeeming and a saving king, and his name is Jesus. And we need to invite people to surrender their lives to him, to bend the knee before him, to acknowledge his kingship, and to realize that he's the only one that can reconcile us to God. He's the one who paid the price on the cross, paid the penalty for sin. He is the one who, on Easter Sunday morning, rose from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. We are no longer under king sin, no longer under king death. We are now under King Jesus, and he's reigning at the right hand of God for the well-being of the church. And he's enlisted some feeble people along the way to do the great work of expanding the kingdom. So, in conclusion, don't watch the clock. Don't worry about the Father's schedule, but take up the task. And be witnesses for Jesus. Take that eyewitness testimony recorded in Scripture, share it, spread it, proclaim it, present it to everyone and to anyone. And if you feel weak, it's because you are weak. But know that you're empowered by the very Spirit of God who opens our mouths to speak and give us, gives us courage in the moment of fear so that people might be introduced to Jesus. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, we thank you tonight for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead to launch a new creation, and who ascended into heaven, great David's greater son reigning at your right hand over the world for the church. We thank you that you have enlisted to spread the good news of this kingdom, individuals like Pastor Paul, to present and proclaim the gospel. And we pray that all of us who are involved in presenting the gospel, all of us who are involved in promoting the gospel would know that we don't just have a commission we have a promise, the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us all to rest and rely on the power of Jesus' Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.